Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Purslane is the most nutritious plant on North American continent. I don't care what you buy at the grocery store. I don't care what you grow in your garden. Yeah, this is a tough question. Um, are you are you saying this is? Are you stumped? Are you stumped? I just want to know. Hey everybody, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. And Craig, we've got a survival stew. Oh my word, <laughs> they're going to learn a lot today, and I'm, sh- I'm going to learn a lot from you because I have a super secret, top secret stump the Krager question. Are you up for that today? Hey man, here's the thing. You can bring a stump the Craig question anytime you want to. Just bring it. I'm ready. I'm always ready. So all week, I gotta tell you guys, all week since we did the last stump, has it been two weeks now? It's been two weeks. Craig's like, I like those. I like those. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that goes today. I, I'm gonna back you up against the wall. Do it, son. A little bit, I think. Bring it I on. Think. I'm gonna do it. I'm ready. So what's up in your world today? You're through your courses for the year, aren't you? Uh, yeah. We have had our last Nature Reliant School hands-on workshop for the year, um, which I absolutely love doing those. But uh, it's always good to be on the other side where I can start cleaning and fixing my gear. Because <laughs> there's a period there where I do not have time to really do that much at all. So I've got to get focused on that and get some online content. We're real rebuilding the website for Nature Reliant School and some email list kind of stuff and all kinds of cool stuff come going down with nature line school it's it's cold and start to be uh time to do all that sort of thing so yeah but today also was uh our first really serious rain so i went out i got a new rain jacket from a company that's wanting a review on it so it was a fantastic opportunity to go out and do a review on this jacket and walk around the rain make sure i stay dry which i did which is pretty cool yeah very happy to but for those that's cool, man. yeah for those of everybody that's listening out there thanks for joining us today our mission here is to help you progressively increase your survival iq so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning today we're serving up another as david said which i like that survival show stew it's kind of a hodgepodge of different stuff hey no joke. Do you do you all have like, hey, let's clean out the fridge dinners every once in a while at the house, David? Yes, everybody. But before we get into all this cool stuff, and we do stump the Craig. Dude, I don't know if I could ever stump you because you always have something to say. But before we find out, I want to encourage you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. Go over to thesurvivalshow.com. No, it's not a full website yet. Sometime this winter, as Craig said. Hopefully we'll get the website up there. But we do have some links there that make it easy for you to join the tribe over at Patreon. You can pick up some guides and cards on Amazon. Or you can grab some bulk packs over at tinysurvival.com. Use Tiny10 for 10% off the 5 and 10 packs of guides and cards over there. And... They say, Craig, after today, the Christmas shopping season starts because as we're, we're recording this, we are just moving over into November out of Halloween. And so for stocking stuffers and Christmas gifts, the tiny guide and card and kits and all that make great stocking stuffers and gifts for anyone. And Craig, as we mentioned before, go ahead over to Amazon, guys. Just if you have the tiny gear, tiny guide the tiny card please 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 leave us a five-star review and a nice written review over there that helps a lot it literally helps a lot and i think craig maybe last week or the week before you explained that to folks and we're still still at the time we're recording this when by the time you guys hear it we won't be in the month of october but 
we are still in Sportsman's Guide Month. They squeaked in for one more podcast this month. Do you have anything to say about the Sportsman's Guide? You always have something to say about. Dude, the listen to this. Package. So we just had a we just had a basic survival class and uh, uh, hands on workshop. It was a weekend. We had a guy come into class. I won't say what his name is because this guy's totally, totally all about anonymity, uh, social media, and everything. So I won't mention his name. But this cat is like. He should he should have a cheerleading outfit on it with SG on the front of it for Sportsman's Guide because this dude has been we we keep talking about the Buyers Club and all the things that go along with it. This guy's been part of that for years now, and he he's a gear nut without a doubt. He's a gear nut. He had one of everything, and he in in our survival level one classes for those that some of y'all have been there and some of y'all asked us about it it's pretty much a camping trip studying survival it's not hardcore or anything so you can sleep in your trucks tent any number of things whatever whatever it is that you want to do this cat had a full on truckload of stuff from sportsman's guide everything that's where he buys everything and it was it was actually quite impressive because he's really proud of his gear and he's very proud on how little he pays for it so he was pulling stuff out like, hey, check this out. I got this for three bucks at the Sportsman's Guide. So, yeah, I was really pleased with it. Uh, really, in, in all honesty, the savings there are real. They add up really quickly. And the money that you'll save can easily cover the cost of the membership in that buyer's club. So check it out. Check it out. You ready to do this, my friend? We're going to put links in the description for this podcast. And specifically, Sportsman's Guide will know if you use that link that we sent you. If... Like most people, you don't use the links. Just go over to Sportsman's Guide. We love you guys anyway. So, you ready to get into this, man? Let's do it. So, finally, as Craig mentioned, we're going to get back to edible plants. Not insects today, but plants. We talked about insects uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we talked actually about mushrooms with Adam last week, which was fantastic. So yeah, it was good. If you guys want an introduction to demystify mushrooms, that is the podcast for you. But today we're going to talk about edible plants. We're going to specifically key in on section M of the guide where we list, I don't know, uh, I'm 12, I don't know, 16, 20, 20 easy to identify and generally known as safe edible medicinal plants that are keyed up over there. And before we get into this, Craig, let's just run through the seven rules of foraging. I'll do that real quick. I'll, I'll talk about each rule. Uh, just share that. If you have anything to add, I'll do a little pause. That's your spot to go ahead and interject anything. If you don't, I'll just go on to the next rule. So sound good? I tell you what, man, just nail them because we did this two podcasts ago in depth. All right, so cool. won't you just, just, just lay them out there? Okay. We call these the seven rules for foraging. And these this would go with anything foraging. It'd be bugs, it'd be mushrooms, it'd be insects, it'd be uh, plants, whatever. And these are just rules of thumb. So here we go. Rule number one, never eat anything unless you can positively ID it. That goes for... I'm not even going to say this as a rule of thumb. This is this is kind of like the immutable uh, rule of foraging. So that's rule number one. Never eat anything unless you can positively 100% ID it, identify it. Rule number two, don't eat plants, possibly treated with chemicals. Rule number three, cook or boil plants whenever possible. Rule number four, for survival, Emphasis on survival, never eat wild mushrooms. If you are interested in that and you are intrigued, like I said before, go back and listen to, I'm going to say that was podcast 49 with uh, Adam Harriton, where we talked about that and how to get into mushrooms safely. Rule number five, train with someone that knows what they're doing. Rule number six, roast, fry, or boil all bugs. And as a general rule, avoid Smelly, hairy, and bright-colored bugs. I'm going to say as a general rule, you could avoid anything smelly. <laughs> that would go for uh, most of your plant material and stuff that we're going to talk about because it's probably, if it smells and it looks nasty, it probably is nasty. Anything to add to those, Craig? All right, so let's go ahead and 
dig into some wild edible plants. And uh, I know you have a scientific process uh, that you'd like to share here too. So maybe you can bring us into that discussion. Yeah, guys and gals. So just think about it. This is probably something you read or were taught in eighth grade. I always say eighth grade just because it just is smacks right in the middle of your education. Eighth grade science class, which is the scientific process. And this is an invaluable little process that all scientists utilize. Anybody that wants to put a sincere and dedicated academic look at any topic, um, particularly as it relates to our topic today, as it relates to biology, herbaceous plants, or even woody stem plants or something of that nature, is if you see something that you can make an observation about, as an example, hey, something ate that plant, uh, you can then form a question. That's step two. The question is, can I eat that plant? And Number three is you can form a hypothesis. You can form that hypothesis based upon written, documented, or in-person education. Then you can conduct an experiment, which is you eat it. And then after that, you analyze the data and you draw a conclusion that, hey, this is an edible plant. But again, all that involves really good, solid, positive identification somewhere around the hypothesis that way you are looking at a plant, you looked at it in a book, you've looked at it on a video, you've seen somebody teach you this in person, and, and you're going about this in a scientific manner as best you can. So the big one for us is making sure that when you find a species, you just find it again and again and again and, and do your best to have fun with that. And the reason I say that is even in a class that we teach where we go around, we teach people 10, 15, 20 different edible plants or some of that nature. That's not the best way to go about learning edible plants. The best way is to pick out one, maybe two, three at the most and spend the time that you want to study edible plants on a particular trip studying that one plant or that two plants that, you know, that way you can focus your attention and, uh, get that going for you in a way that you can start to retain that information. So yeah, there you go. How about we, uh, you want to jump into a few plants here? Let's do that. And what we're, what we're going to do guys, and it's kind of, I'm going to say it's kind of sort of laid out like this, Craig, in the tiny guide, I'm going to say maybe our top, the top three plants, top four or five, six plants are the ones towards the top. And so let's start with some easies, like almost everybody would be able to identify these, if not straight up as we talk about them, but it, possibly just with seeing what they look like and then being able to identify them. And we're going to start with two of them that I'm going to say, if you live in a, a temperate climate, you're probably going to have these. The first one is going to be one that people in urban areas kill. <laughs> I actually like the way they look all year and especially in the spring because I love to eat the flowers. Craig? Dandelions. Can you guess what this is? Dandelion. That's right. Dandelions. In the French, the dandelion, oh. which means tooth of the lion. <laughs> really? I did not How know about that. that, son. Man, I threw some culture Dan on you right there. Yeah. Uh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's the Latin name of dandelion <laughs> if you want to go there? The Latin name? Terra Axicum yeah. officinale. <laughs> Are you looking at the tiny guide? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're awesome. No, dude. actually, <laughs> here's you how are, I know. <laughs> you are a wealth of information. Because this is the last one I'm going to know the Latin name for. <laughs> so um, I think I may have told you I'm doing some stuff with Creek Stewart, which is pretty fantastic. We're going to have some online education resources. And one of the things that I did is I talk about down the lines and I utilize the Latin name. So for those that are interested, that stuff's coming soon. But I used the Latin name for dandelion yesterday. So that's the only reason I have it available to me in my mind right now. So, yeah. And even though we're in the fall here at the time of recording this podcast, you can still find edible parts of this plant. Dandelion. So edible parts of the plant. We want to discuss those, Craig? Yeah, let me jump jump in there with what you just said, though. Uh, one of the things that's important to understand is that typically in the springtime when when plants are growing and they're forming a flower head or something like that, there's a lot of ways to say this, but you can think about the nutrition is going into that part of the plant because everything about the plant is all about trying to get that seed out there, trying to get the flower out there as an attractant. But as David suggested, 
this time of year, the plant is dying back. Like there is no, you, it'll be very hard pressed to find a stem of a dandelion, but you'll find that basil rosette. So in this time of year, all that nutrition, if you will, there's a lot of words that we could use there, but let's, let's just think of it as nutrition. The nutrition of that plant is going to be in the root system. It's coming back down to the earth. And so you can use the roots uh, to get us started here. You can use the roots of dandelion to make a, a fantastic tea and coffee. Not fantastic in that it's tasty, uh, fantastic that it's incredibly, incredibly healthy for your, uh, particularly for your liver. And we've used it for that. Uh, we've used dandelion and burdock tea to lower cholesterol. And, and when I say we, we here at our house. But uh, yeah, all kinds of it. What, what, what's your favorite part of the dandelion, David? I just love in, in spring, I I will literally go out almost anywhere that I'm at where I know it's not being sprayed and eat the fresh flowers just straight up. I mean, vitamin C, all kinds of minerals. Uh, and, and honestly, they're really kind of sweet. Uh, almost always with these sorts of plants, the younger leaves, and maybe you have some data behind this, but the younger leaves are going to be uh, milder, less woody, I would, I would say, uh, tastier. They mix up real nice into, into salads. So earlier in the spring, I will not hesitate to, to eat the flower, eat the leaves at all. You could still eat the leaves now if you can find any in the spring, or I'm sorry, in the fall, but they're going to be a bit more bitter. And that's just the way it works. A bit more bitter, quite a lot more woody. And like Craig says, nutrition sinks down in all of these plants, including trees, uh, out of the leaves into into the uh, part of the plant that remains throughout the winter so that it can be a perennial. Now, these are all perennials. I don't know if we need to talk about that, but these are plants that come up year after year. You don't have to plant them. So they propagate by seed. And uh, that's all I got on the dandelion. How about you? Oh, that's pretty, I mean, we could talk about them for probably too long, but uh, yeah, there, there's no part of the dandelion you can't eat except the dried seed that floats away. I mean, you can eat them, but you won't find them real enjoyable. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, yeah, everything. How about the ste- how about the stems when they're milky? Because I know there's some some rules of thumb about milky milky type. That's parts a good of rule of thumb that we can bypass on dandelions. Uh, for the most part, I would follow that because milky substances can be toxic. But it, it's going to be a bitterness that is something that you, if you want to use dandelions and eat them, you're going to need to get used to because it's just part of it. But it's it's not problematic for you, as far as I know. Uh, did you have any other understanding of it? Because I don't. I don't, I've, I don't. I mean, I've eaten I them and I have never experienced issues with that. So this is this. I would say this is our number one plant, just because it's so pervasive. It's it's actually a problem if you want a nice green lawn with nothing but, you know, a variety of mixed grasses. But just like Craig said, this is a fantastic plant because it's easy to identify. It's plenty plentiful, and all parts of this plant are safe to eat. Next hey, one. let me throw in one more thing for people yeah. before we get into number two. Um, but if you pick up a spring mix at your grocery store, it more like more than likely has dandelion or chicory uh, leaves in it, and so you're basically paying for it, or you can get that actually from your from your yard. So uh, I would double back on what David said and just accent it again. The early spring leaves of the dandelion are not going to be as bitter and they're more tasty. And that's pretty much what you're eating in that spring mix. And you're, you're buying it at the grocery store. It's a, the, it, the dandelion leaves don't have any hairs on the underside. Chicory leaves do. And so you'll see those two get mixed up oftentimes in your spring mix and they'll be utilized. And they basically have the same nutritional content in them. So it's, it doesn't matter which one it is, but yeah. And, and the dandelion is part of the aster family. Yeah. That's the last thing. Yeah. Cool. Plantain. Pl- plantain. Take us. Go for it. We've actually got a, a pretty extensive article that my wife, Karen, researched and put up on the Ultimate Survival Tips website on plantain. But it goes back. It was my understanding. It was uh, brought over to this country, but the Native Americans used it for a lot of medicinal purposes. It's it's edible, and there's many, many, many different varieties of it. So the leaves are edible. Again, it's going to be one of those spring 
it's almost I'm I'm going to say it's almost universal that the fresh leaves are going to be much more tasty and uh, less woody than the later leaves and the seed pods of this particular plant. Uh, I actually don't prefer when they're when those are dried out. Some people use them for spice. Uh, you can just kind of s- strip that stock of the seed heads and eat them. So those are that's mostly what I've done with plantain. I know there's a lot of people that will use it for a poultice. Maybe we won't get into medicinal stuff much, but there's a lot of medicinal uses of that plant also. Yeah, I would uh, listen to David on this one. I don't eat this one as a food. I do use it as medicine for, you know, as David said, uh, I use it as a spit poultice for stings and itchy things on skin. And so uh, I've used it for that a lot. I find it to be just really strong, bitter. Uh, and David's comment about Native Americans, it, we, it, it is of European origin, and we brought it over early, very early on. And Native Americans at one point in time referred to it as white man's footprint because it wasn't here. And then all of a sudden now it's it's basically worldwide at this point. And fortunately, so to, to a degree in North America, it's sort of an invasive, but it doesn't cause problems here. Uh, other than it kind of disrupts a clean fescue yard, which I, I'd rather have food in my yard than the poisonous fescue. <laughs> Next, lamb's quarter. You want me to take this one? I got a good story for this one. So I was studying edible medicinal plants with Richard Cleveland down at Earth School. And I. Had, and this is a long, man, this is a long time ago. And I had not... Um, discovered or been able to identify lamb's quarter here in my neck of the woods, although it was around me and I knew it was. And I just, up to that point, when I went down there, I hadn't been able to find it. And so when, during class, one of the things we do is we had to make a salad for everybody in class. And so each one of us was tasked with getting a plant. And we spent like four or five hours getting enough of that plant for everybody to have a healthy serving of it. And so I had to, I had to get, I had to go out and get a plant for about 20 people. Okay. And so did everybody else for that matter. But, but, um, guess what he gave me? Yeah. Lamp's quarter. And so he helped me identify it and find it the first time. And so I then spent, you know, three, four hours picking lamb's quarter. And I've, I've said this a million times, but on my way home, I could see lamb's quarter on the side of the interstate driving 70 miles an hour on the way home. And, and I've been that way ever since because, again, as I mentioned earlier, just picking it over and over and over and over again, even on one day, helped imprint it into my brain such that I'll never forget it now. Yeah, it's a very good salad, base for a salad. You can eat it as is. And with all these things, we've mentioned this before. David mentioned it earlier. Wash whenever you can. But uh, lamb's quarter makes for a very nice base for a salad. It's not. We've talked about dandelion and plantain being bitter. Uh, lamb's quarter is not. It's not, right. It's often, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's o- often the oxalic acid, the higher the oxalic acid in a plant, it can go from like a bitter sweet to a very bitter. But lamb's quarter, I, have found, I, I found exactly the same thing. Around here, some people call it wild spinach. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to get into much of the characteristics of how to identify this, but in the tiny survival guide, and honestly, Craig, it may be worth the entire price of the guide just to get section M because we've got some great sketches. And then we came up with a plant key that helps you identify the edible and medicinal parts of the plants. And we've got trees in there, edible flowers and berries. But can you just tell people, is, is it just the leaves that are edible with the lamb's quarter? Yeah, because that stem is kind of hmm, hardy. And it's just, nah. I mean, it's just the leaves. And usually one plant will produce so many leaves that you can pick all the leaves off of it. Uh, just always with everything that we're talking about here always be cognizant of conservation. If you've got a huge field and there's one lamb's quarter plant in it, then I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to mess it with it. I'm going to leave it. However, if I find a place that's got a lot of lamb's quarter plants, then I'll harvest some 
And uh, when I can, I can help disperse seeds. Um, this this is just a it goes along with any of these plants, but understand the life cycle of that plant. Understand how it continues to grow and and seed itself, and then do what you can to help it. For example, I'll just give a perfect example. Elderberry is something that we didn't see around here that much, right? Well, I mean, there's a lot of it, but it's on private property. And so I didn't have access to any. And two years ago, my wife and I found a, a pretty sizable elderberry plant that had plenty of seed and, and fruit on it. And so we took about half of it and about a quarter of it, we took and spread on the ground where we knew it was pretty, um, pretty healthy. And this year there were, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 different elderberry plants. We, we had so much elderberry. We didn't know what, I mean, we, we just gave it away. So just by, you know, being, playing our role as conservationist and assisting nature, you know, we, we get to reap its bounty by working with it as best we can. Lamb's quarter, same way. I I would do that to help uh, propagate and get it out there as best I can. And as they get older, they actually form a seed head on, on the top and, Craig, exactly what you said happened to us. We, in the forest and woods of our property and surrounding our property, there's not much. There's actually sort of kind of a a lookalike, which I'll talk about in a minute. But in our garden, we had a volunteer, a lamb's quarter that volunteered. And so over the last couple of years, we've just nurtured that. And that just becomes part of our, you know, what we harvest out in the garden. And we just leave it self-propagate out there. So that's been really cool because lamb's quarter is honestly probably i'm just, it, i can't think of another of another uh wild edible that i like more than lamb's quarter but there is a look like there's a, there's sort of kind of a look alike and i used to get really excited when i first learned about lamb's quarter to uh that i was thinking that there's another woodland plant that grows mostly in shade, which is jewelweed, which is not lamb's quarter. There's some similarities, but once you get familiar with these two plants, you'll easily be able to recognize lamb's quarter from jewelweed. Yeah, you'll notice everybody, if you have a knowledge of of plants, then you probably think, ah, jewelweed and lamb's quarter don't look that much like to me, but we're definitely approaching this subject from a very safe, conservative perspective. I mean, we had a for those, I mean, just go back to the elderberry conversation. We had a student of ours who we had shown elderberry and talked about all the different characteristics and did exactly what we're supposed to do with them, had them draw it, had them write down the the branching and how all that works. And then they found elderberry this year and sent us pictures to help make sure that they understood that they were looking at it properly, which we were very thankful because that's what we tell everybody to do. And they sent us pictures of pokeberry and Oakberry and elderberry don't work the same way at all. And so that's why, you know, if you're experienced with uh, with plants, yeah, sure. As David said, jewelweed and lamb's quarter don't look any alike, but I know for from personal experience that people get those two mixed up on a regular basis. So, yeah, we're going to be real cautious in that because we, we want to make sure everybody stays safe. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's uh, keep going across here. We're we're literally looking out of the tiny guide, and Craig uh, put the list up here in our notes. But we've got wild mustard. Yeah, garlic mustard. I discovered wild mustard just a cup. It it tastes like mustard. The flowers taste like mustard, which is is actually a really refreshing treat when they're out. And they they come out. Uh, I'm gonna say summer into early fall around here at least. The leaves are edible, the stalks are edible, the flowers are edible. Yeah, and it's an invasive species. Man, I know this Master Naturalist stuff keeps coming out, but here's something that's really interesting I learned about garlic mustard in Master Naturalist class is that it because it's a because it's an invasive, um, you gotta be real careful on um on um when you're around it. 
So let's say that there's 10 plants there and you pick up one or two because you want to eat them. Well, next time when you pull that up, you're probably causing the soil to get disturbed and there will be more plants next time. So because it's an invasive, if there's 10 plants there, pull up the two that you need for food and then pull up the other eight and destroy them as best you can. If you pull them all up, then they won't seed out and won't continue to come back. So it's it's kind of interesting how that works. And it was one of those plants that I was like, wow, really? I don't, don't quite understand this, but I'm looking at a PhD in herbaceous plants. It's telling me this, so they know what they're talking about. Um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good. It's really interesting, Craig, this whole, this whole conservation discussion that we've had been having since you've started the natural, natu- the master naturalist class is, is really interesting because the way I approach it is I, I personally like the flowers. So I'm getting the flowers before they go to seed. I'm not sure what that does to the plant, but from a apiary, apiarist standpoint, bees love wild mustard. And it's one of those later summer plants that really help them to put on some honey. So it's interesting how it all, it all sort of kind of works together. And yeah, yeah. Very interesting. I don't have a solution for all that. Well, here's a way to, <laughs> um, except that I, I here's a way yeah. to think of it. Cause yeah, every instructor I've had said this, that in, because for those that are listening, maybe you've heard me talk about this topic for the first time. I'm getting certified as master naturalist. So I've had soils prof- professors, woody stem, uh, herbaceous, uh, uh, soils, geology, water, uh, wildlife, any number of things. And each one of them keeps saying this, that our understanding of nature is, it, there's one thing, and nature does its own thing on its own, but it's the human and nature interaction that is important. And when we communicate, because it's our job when we leave this class to do our best to educate the public, which is part of the reason I bring these topics up, is to like David's interaction with garlic mustard is a really positive experience because he's a beekeeper. Mine is very negative because one of the areas that I deer hunt is not a real popular place for deer to travel because garlic mustard has covered the forest floor there now. And 15 years ago, it was one of the hottest spots to deer hunt. But now the deer don't normally travel through there. And the only thing that's really changed is that there's just a lot of garlic mustard there. And I don't know why, if that, if that is something that changed it, cause I have seen deer and garlic mustard before I've seen them eating it before, but it's not a real common plant for them to eat. They go elsewhere. So it's, it's sort of interesting how, you know, different people interact and we all need to understand that and, and utilize that to, to, uh, do what it is that we need to do. Yeah. Sorry. I got us off on a tangent, dude. No, that's good stuff because it's, we want to be able to parse this and we want to be able to think through this logically also from a conservationist mindset. So I I welcome all of those comments, Craig. So let's go through curly dock, chicory, shepherd's purse, and clover. And let's leave the aquatic, uh, let's leave the aquatic plants and some of the drier plants for another time. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds good. Go ahead. Start us off. All right. So next we've got curly dock. Um, why don't you go ahead and talk about this one? Here's the I, thing. Pretty much all I have ever done is eat the young leaves of the curly dock. Um, I hope this is a good lesson for everybody. I don't think I've ever eaten curly dock. I don't, I don't have anything to say about it. And I hope that encourages people to know that even though I have a lot of experience, I don't know at all. <laughs> so, and I, I would love to hear what, what you said. You don't use it much, but what you do know, share, share away, please. Uh, here's what I do know. I, I do know that Karen prizes it as a medicinal plant. Now we did not in our plant key in the tiny guide, we, we only talked about the wild edible aspects of the plants. We didn't get into medicinal because that gets into, that can be a very complicated project. I'm not saying that people shouldn't get into it, but it, it, it takes a lot of knowledge. I know both of our wives have been into that for many, many years. And I think they both would probably say, I'm, I'm just a beginner in all this. So, so as far as the edible aspects of it, uh, curly dock being in a, in a salad as a, as a younger leaf, uh, the old ones get woody pretty quick. 
and but they can be they can be cooked and boiled up and made made suitable to eat. But the reason it's mostly on this list is just because it's so it's it's very uh, it's very prevalent where I live anyway. And so I have eaten it, and it is good for that. And it's it's a common it's common in a lot of different places. But it does have some medicinal superpowers that people that are into that can check that out. Next one up. Hey, I do have one thing to say about chicory. curly dock though. Uh, oh, yeah. Just don't ever confuse curly dock with Mo Doc or Larry Doc. Nyak, nyak, nyak. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, how about that, son? That was a, I'm throwing culture and comedy in here that, today, that baby. Was, that's right. That was a rare departure from your 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 stoic, serious. Oh man, <laughs> I've been running around in the rain all day today, man. I'm kind of feeling my oats today, so I got to be, I got to do the Craig Cottle thing and play in the rain. So I'm feeling good. What what was the next one? I'm sorry. Chicory. Chicory. Chicory is an, another one that's in that aster family right along with dandelions. If you look at the leaves, it's going to look exactly the same, except the chicory is going to have slight hairs on the underside of the leaves. The chicory oftentimes gets called, I don't know what you all call it, but sometimes people around here call it blue buttons or, or I think bottom buttons or something like that because it has a little blue, almost more purplish to me, but blue flower that comes up later in its season. The stem is just totally inedible. I mean, I guess you could chew on it, but it's it's tough. We we have a tough time here in Kentucky because uh, it's an it's somewhat of an invasive. If you have a disturbed soil, it'll take over rather quickly, and you can get it bailed up and and uh, cattle will eat it. I mean, it's not harmful to cattle, but um, the stems cattle don't even care for because they're so tough. So it's not good for a cow's stomach, which is a multi-chambered stomach. So I don't think it's going to be real palatable for humans. The, the stem, that is, not the leaves. Yeah, around here we just call it chicory. Some people may, some people that are into like coffee alternatives may know that chicory root is sometimes used and actually sometimes dandelion root also mixed together with some other types of things to make it taste something like a, a tea that favors towards a coffee taste, but it doesn't really taste like that to me. Uh, <laughs> tastes like chicory, doesn't it? Next, it does, it does taste like chicory. Now the flowers are, are, are nice. Uh, next up, we've got shepherd's purse. That's another one. I don't know leaves, anything about, dude. Leaves are all that I've really tried there. Unless I know okay. it is something by a different name. Uh, okay. Uh, shepherd's purse. Again, the leaves, the stems are edible, especially, again, younger. Uh, clover. Hold on a second, man. I'm, gonna, I'm trying. Certainly you have clover. Yeah, I'm trying to look up shepherd's purse and see if on, on my app and see if I know it from a different name. Oh, well, I don't know it from a different name. All right. What's next, would you say? Uh, yeah, again, shepherd's purse is a is pretty common. And, you know, it, it's just one of those that's that's fairly reliable. The leaves are, are certainly edible. The stems are edible, again, in a young state. Next one was clover. Oh, clover is a good one. Uh, it's three leaves. Uh, you can eat red or white clover. Uh, we're big fans of it here. It's... it's um, it's another one that I don't know that I'd make a whole salad of, but I definitely throw it into a salad. We've talked briefly before about how bitter foods are actually really good for your diet, and we've convinced ourselves in this country that they're not, and we shouldn't have done that. So clover's a good choice for you because it throws a little bitterness in there. And when I say a little, not uh, it is a little, not a whole lot of bitterness compared to something like a plantain that is you know considerably bitter to my palate at least. Again, the younger flowers. Do you eat the leaves much? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, when the, the flowers start to to get a little bit older, you want to get them when they're fresh. I've I've eaten quite a bit of, of flowers that were older, and they will dry your mouth out in a heartbeat. Yeah, one, one caution with any clover, particularly red clover, though, is that if you gather some, let's say you got, let's say I gathered some this morning, 
and I put it in a bag and I threw that bag up on the dash of my truck and came home, let it sit. And it kind of gets this like, uh, oily type, um, uh, watery substance on it, which is incredibly toxic. And so you do not want to do that. So if you, if you're going to harvest clover, you want to harvest it and then, uh, dry it out. Don't let it sit and get a lot of sunlight on it. So that milk, that, I don't know what the right word is that I'm looking for. And this watery substance on it that has a cyanide derivative in it. It's real problematic. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I thought maybe you were going to say just as far as harvesting goes, if you put any plant material in a bag that's sealed up and you put it in a warm place, you're going to get some transpiration that's going to happen in there. And depending on the conditions, it could turn to mold and it could just like it's just like the salad you buy at the grocery store if you leave that out on a warm summer day it's going to go bad really quick same thing with all these plants yeah no doubt about it what was next next up let let's go ahead through a couple more of these and i'm gonna i'm just gonna name them you tell me what you know and we'll go from there just because I want to get to some of this yeah. other stuff. We've got wood sorrel. Uh, sour. Love it. Great for teaching kids because there's no poisonous mm-hmm. lookalikes. Next. Thistle. I don't eat thistle except the um, the flower head. I don't know if you can eat other parts of it or not. Do you? Uh, you can apparently eat the leaves, which I have actually I've never, never done. I've never done that either. There's a lot of people that, that talk about the... The leaves, the stems, of course, they are, they do have, they are prickly. So uh, the, the recommendation is to boil right. those Right, kind of like nettle. Chickweed. Yeah, we have a lot of that. It, it's, it's, uh, it really likes cold weather. It'll, uh, it, it comes out in late winter, actually starts growing and coming on strong. Actually, when it gets hot, it, it's when it doesn't like it too much. So it doesn't like a lot of direct hot sunlight. You'll find it growing in the shade of buildings and homes and trees and what have you uh, when it grows. I, that's my favorite edible in the whole world. It doesn't have a tremendous amount of nutrition, but I love the taste of it. So I eat it on a very regular basis. Man, I did a an extended training a couple of years ago in Arkansas, and chickweed was everywhere. So, <laughs> and and it was fantastic. And I I actually at that particular time i didn't even know what it was because i had never seen it up here but now i do purslane have you ever do you have any experience with purslane okay everybody listen up this this is this is where the rubber meets the road purslane is the most nutritious plant on north american continent i don't care what you buy at the grocery store i don't care what you grow in your garden it is the most nutritious plant by far in north america and people tear it up and rip it up and throw it away away all the time. Funny story. And I'll try to be quick. My dad had a bunch of this growing in his garden, didn't know what it was and asked my wife to help him identify it. And when she went out there, found out that, you know, he was getting ready to till all this stuff up and pull it out. Cause it was, it covers like a mat in your garden. And she's like, Frank, that's my dad's name. Frank, that stuff right there is, you need to be growing that not the rest of the stuff you got in your garden. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Very, very healthy for you. And so you would primarily eat the leaves, mm-hmm. right? And you can eat those those anyway. You can eat them raw, cooked. Yeah, a lot whatever. of people will pickle them. It's real common for people to pickle purslane and eat it throughout the year. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the last one maybe we'll cover this time, and we'll maybe we'll get to some of these aquatic and, and dry weather, uh, dry places, desert plants. The last one, let's talk about stinging nettle. I've actually never used it for anything other than medicinal uses that my that my wife mentioned to me. Uh, yeah, you, you? you can. There's English nettle and stinging nettle. I don't use it often. Uh, you just got to be real careful on your, uh, your identification so that you don't screw yourself up and, and just eat some stinging nettle raw because you need to prep it and prepare it and boil it just like you're describing and it'll help uh, keep the the stings away from you because it's basically like a little barb that'll stick into your throat or grab hold of you or any number of things so you want to avoid that whenever you can cool anything else we want to cover on these now dude pretty typical common wild Uh, edibles yeah let's let's call it that i want to get to this stump craig question i don't know if we're there yet or not but 
<laughs> That's all you care about. <laughs> but I do have another question, yeah. Craig, on this on this whole wild edible stuff. <sighs> Ancient cultures they made it through long winters, and there are some tribes that are up in upstate New York and around here that have been documented to actually make it through some long winters when their crops failed off of trees, barks, twigs, roots, things like that. Do you have maybe a little bit of Native American history on how some of these cultures made it through the winter specifically, if there's any trees, barks, twigs, roots, anything like that, that we can look out for as, as wild edibles. Nuts and wild game. So we're talking about edible plants. We're not talking about game, but they're going to exist by eating wild game for one. And the other big one that we haven't talked about at all when we're talking about, because we've been primarily talking about herbaceous plants, uh, green stem plants that die off, come back uh, rather than woody stem plants like trees. And so the, the, the food source that gets dropped in particular back then was, uh, was nuts. The fruits of oak trees, American chestnut, which again, back then American chestnuts were very prominent. So they could have harvested and gathered a bunch of them, which they often did all the way up to where you're at, all the way down South of me here in Kentucky, all the way down to Georgia. And so, uh, that tree does not exist in our environment now for the most part, there's remnants of them here and there, but, but, uh, that was an incredible, incredible food source that would have been dropping hundreds of nuts throughout the forest that they could, if they knew how to dig for them, could actually find them under the snow if they had to, but that's a big one. Uh, and then obviously the, the re one of the reasons that native American cultures, Aboriginal cultures made baskets was to have containers so they could store foods as well. Uh, seeds and grasses and stuff of that nature that they could store and utilize in stews throughout the year. Uh, that was one thing that often happened as well. And so, um, outside of the fact that they grew pumpkins and gourds and stuff of that nature, and even a maize, uh, which is, you know, the, the former version of what we now call corn, basically, uh, sunflower seeds was a big part of the diet here in this part of the world that a lot of people, I mean, this has been actually very recently discovered. And so it was something that they grew here in Kentucky. I don't know familiar with, I'm not real familiar with the, uh, Iroquois, which would have been the primary native Americans in that part of the world up there. But, uh, but yeah, lots, lots of stuff that they would, it, it wouldn't have been easy. So yeah, it would be a lot of grains. It would be grains and nuts. All right, man. So we've got some questions that that I think you pulled from social media. Did you want to cover those or did you want to get into the stump the Craig envelope that I've got here? Because of the nature of what's in my top secret envelope that says no Craig on it. I'm going to share a disclaimer. The views and opinions of the hosts, especially Mr. Craig Cottle, and guests of this show are not necessarily those of the Survival Show podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's open up this envelope. Something folded up. See what's inside. (laughs) It is. It is in the envelope. Here's what we need to do. We need we need to start putting this out there and get people to send us stump the Craig question. Oh, that's a that's a great idea. And over on Anchor, people can leave us a yeah. a question or you know a voice voicemail. They can they can actually do that, and they can find us, Craig. They can find us. Yeah. So if you guys have some stump the Craiger questions, send them on. I actually came up with this last last minute. All right, go ahead, do it, son. But Come I think on, it's good. Okay, so today's topic it's a topic is self defense, and we have three parts to this topic. So, Craig, I'm going to start you out easy with the first two, which are agree or disagree to a statement and tell okay, us why. Cool. Number one, do you agree or disagree with the following statement and why? Any threat that can be identified can be avoided. No, I disagree. Why? Um, there's... <laughs> 
am talking about the average person here. The, the big thing is avoidance and awareness. And those two things go hand in hand. And so let's say that somebody's going to sneak up on you and, and try to bring harm to you. Then they already have, they're proactive and you're going to have to be reactive. So you've got to have, you got to be switched on all the time to be able to see everything. I'm not saying you shouldn't be, uh, people that tend to think in depth or hard on, um, self-defense will find themselves switched on most of the time. How it, However, there's three ways that people typically bring about physical assault on others. It's predator-based, opportunity-based, and then the last one is assassination. Predator-based, oh, I'm sorry, predator-based, ego-based, and then assassination, okay? Predator-based is somebody that you don't know is out there but they know that you're there. And so they are as a predator and they're coming after you. Ego base is where you go back and forth. Uh, somebody cuts you off on the road and road rage ensues. And then you get into an argument. Assassination is somebody wants to bring severe harm to you or kill you. And you literally have no idea that they're there. And it, there's really not a whole lot you can do for it. The other two pre, uh, predator based and ego based assault, you can take care of most of the time with, uh, awareness and uh, avoidance strategies. A big one is just don't go to areas where you're likely to be harmed. Be aware whenever you're out. But again, I mean, and I, I think back to there was a situation in my hometown where three guys got assass- literally got assassinated. It's believed it could have been it could have been a drug deal. We don't know for sure. But uh, these three guys were asleep in in a house, and somebody went in and put a bullet in their every one of their heads. Boom, 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 dead, deader than hammer. And um, don't really don't know. I mean, these were just average, as far as I know, I don't know the inside scoop on this one. Uh, as far as I know, they were average, ordinary farm boys. And somebody killed all three of them. Could have been a fight. Could have been a drug deal gone wrong. Could have been a lot of things. But we still, I mean, that, that was, heck, that was 15, 16 years ago. Still don't know who did it. So, yeah, good question. That is, now let's do part two. Okay, part two. Do you agree or disagree with the following statement and why? Mixed martial arts, MMA, trains and prepares you for real world self-defense. Do you agree or disagree? You've got a lot of your MMA buddies listening. Yeah, this is a tough question. Um, It it just, it really (laughs) depends. Are you you saying this is, are you stumped? I'm not stumped. stumped? I'm just trying to know try to come up with the best answer that I know I'm helping people. Um, yes, probably. Well, MMA does a fantastic job of helping people be ready for a fight compared to those who only sit on the couch and don't ever prepare or do anything for a fight. Your your typical MMA person is going to be very well-rounded. They'll probably do some striking. They'll do some, some, some defense, which is incredibly vital to self-defense is learning how to properly defend yourself when somebody starts striking you, particularly when you've been surprised and then they'll do ground, they'll do takedowns and stuff of that nature. So MMA I think is, is as good as you can get as far as, uh, you know, no, somebody has zero experience in martial arts training and you want to do something just for self-defense. You should have a very well-rounded foundation. And, uh, the problem with mixed martial arts, no different than the martial arts that I taught for 20 plus years is that a lot of times if you get focused just on what's done in a dojo or an academy or a facility and you got soft mats and you've got pads and you got gloves and, and training tools like training knives and stuff of that nature, you can really get in the rut with that stuff and not prepare for prepare yourself for the real world. I mean, getting hit in the face with, by someone who has boxing gloves on is totally different than getting hit in the face with somebody who doesn't. And so uh, anytime that you're doing anything uh, where it's organized martial training, you've got a, I called it pushing my students up to the line and I, and I kept them pretty far back from that line, that cliff line, which is you can take your students and kind of hang them over the cliff of self-defense where they're getting really good training, but almost always somebody will get hurt in that environment. And so the more you get hurt, the less effective you can be. 
So you've got a you've got a way that you you've got to figure out where that line is between really hardcore. Hey, we're going to fight, hit each other with sticks in the face, hit each other and knee each other in the groin, kind of fighting, training, and you know organized fight training, where you've got to recognize that some of that is is uh, it, it will put you in a rut of uh, of being insecure, uh, being what you think you're secure, giving you a false sense of security. That makes sense. Boom. Bring it on, son. I got answers for everything. All right. All right. You did good. So here's your scenario question. Okay. A law-abiding citizen who has a concealed carry permit in their state and is well-trained with a firearm and has some practical training in firearm self-defense tactics, possibly even former military. This person travels often on business and for personal reasons to a neighboring state that's close where their concealed carry permit is not honored and there is no path for that citizen to obtain a concealed carry per- permit in the neighboring state. Would you suggest A, civil disobedience, carry your firearm anyway, B, obey the law and carry and train some other self-defense tool that is legal, C, open carry, or D, some other answer? I would never, under any circumstances, publicly tell people to break the law. So they need to follow the law. I think that's my answer. <laughs> How about that? That's, that's, that's so your that's, answer. That was A, right? Or number one? No, that was, no, civil disobedience was, was number yeah. one. Uh, uh, I, I would, I would oh, tell yeah, them to right, go with number, right, right. in this particular situation, D. me and you talking on a podcast, I would say number two where they obey the law and they get themselves prepared as best they can with other tools or at at the very least their combatives hand to hand skill. And I think I've said a lot without saying a lot. And if you want to understand what Craig means, get to know him for three or four years and, or, and, (laughs) or come visit him at one of his classes around the fire some night and don't bring any recording devices. <laughs> was that a stump the Craig question? No, it wasn't. No, I answered it was it was number two. You did good. Out of those totally. choices. That was yeah. Yeah. Totally. Cool man. Awesome. So you like these questions? I do. I, I like uh, I like being challenged and in uh, in in all seriousness, I like being forced to think on the fly. Uh that doesn't bother me at all. Uh I, I I hope, I hope what I try to do when I answer these questions and all seriousness, everybody listen, I have no idea what these questions are when he brings them up. I mean, zero understanding of what's coming up. So uh, they are by surprise. What I try to do is I try to work through these problems out loud so you can see how I work through them. Again, my way is not the way of doing things. It is a way of doing things. So hopefully, hopefully it helps you. Craig, you did really good. I, I just have to tell you. I may never stump you, but I'm going to keep trying. Keep on it, son. I'm ready. So you want to talk a little bit? We've had some questions from people about what's coming up. Do you want to just share a couple of things together? We'll just do, go through this real quick. How's yeah, man. I've got um, I've got a, uh, two or three big things. You know, this is, again, my time of year. Now that classes, my official classes are over, uh, I do two things. I try to find some classes to get into. So I'm always continuing my learning. And then I'm also digging into the computer gear side of what it is that we do at Nature Reliance School. So for those that have been listening to the podcast, hey, I got my Manly Musings back on track this week as I've been away for almost a month. It's crazy. So uh, I'll be getting those back on track on a more regular basis. And I appreciate everybody's patience and graciousness and letting me be away from those for for a month or so. And um, the knife is well on track. My shaman East that I designed and LT Wright built, uh, at this point we've sold almost 70 of them. And, uh, I'm very pleased with that. Just actually not just pleased. I'm very humbled by the support that that knife has seen and experienced. So it's, it's been very pleasing to me, which has prompted me to start digging into some other projects. Um, going to be doing some things where we can communicate with people more effectively through email rather than just social media. You know, I did a, I did a in, very informal study this past three classes that I had and asked how many of you are not on Facebook. I do so much stuff on Facebook. It's crazy. And, 
about a third of the people that were coming to classes at Nature Reliance School had no social media whatsoever. So that that is incredibly telling. Um, so I, I feel really bad because I put a lot of information out on social media, and I'm not. I, I love to over deliver to particularly to alumni and people that support us. That's why I continually do things for this podcast. I'm trying to help people as best I can, and um, I want to over deliver, keep people happy. You support us, so I want to support you as best we can. And because of that, um, uh, trying to over deliver, I'm not delivering to a large percentage of people that are not on social media. So we're trying to fix that. But yeah, that's that's me coming up um, doing some. Can people still get the knife? Uh, yeah, I ordered a few extra, and so there's a few that are still available. Uh, and so anybody that wants to get one, to just get on our website, on our gear store, and. Uh, jump on it. We'd love to have you. The The deals that we had for the very first pre-order, those are gone. So it's still a fantastic price, in my opinion, for what you're getting. And uh, we'll we'll take it from there. But uh, can we talk about the, the stuff that I've been writing for me and you, or are we talking about that later? Um, oh, yeah. for the next, the yeah. next time you, you got off on that. Um, can you talk about it without telling everybody what it is? <sighs> yeah. So... The tiny survival guide you all is one of several to come. There's more coming. And the topics are the ones that a lot of people have requested. And so we're developing more tiny guides along that line so that we can, uh, again, like I mentioned earlier, we're, we're going to over deliver you all. We're going to crush this project. It's been a, it's been a project that's been successful for people, for us. And uh, we want to capitalize on it. And, and I'm actually over, overwhelmed by the success, especially over on Amazon. And it just it's it's outrageous. I mean, I I've known that over fifty percent of all e-commerce online sales and stuff go through Amazon, but I had no idea. So anyway, thank you guys who pick have picked them up over there. Did you want to talk about any anything else on? on your side? Um, no, nah, I think that's enough. I don't want to, I don't want to bog people down too much on it. Hey, if you want to, I mean, jump on this, you all go to my website, naturereliance.org, And there's a pop-up menu to get on the email list. Please jump on that email list. Cause there's going to be all kinds of cool stuff coming there. And, uh, yeah, thanks for asking David. Nice. And if, if you guys, if this is your first time hearing about Craig's knife, you can go over to Nature Reliance, and I think you have a, a gear, is it a gear tab over there? Mm-hmm. Gear store. Where people can check it out. Gear store, yep. And if you want, do you have the, the review that, I don't know if you have the review that I did over there. If, if not, you can go over to Ultimate Survival Tips and look up Shamanese Knife. Over there, I did a review of Craig's Knife. I love it. Ordered mine. Can't wait for it. When's, when are they going to be ready? <laughs> Dude, it was... Uh... They told me 90 days from the order, so I ordered over 30 days ago. So it's about two months out. Uh, my whole goal was to get them in before Christmas. So, uh, and they're they're well on their way. I actually talked to them about it this week. And I filmed, for those that are listening, that, that listen to or know what's going on, everybody that buys one is getting a series of videos, which I have also been lax on. Uh, I recorded another one today in the rain with that knife. So it's actually 20 minutes long on different things you can do in the rain and how that knife is superior to a lot of different options. So yeah, there's all kinds of stuff coming with that knife. I'm done, dude. Get into you. I'll cover one or two things here. I I think most notably there's something really cool over at tiny survival.com had been working on that site for a while. I don't know if I've really, really mentioned this to everybody, but besides the tiny guide and the tiny card, which you can get those on Amazon, but what you can't get on Amazon is the tiny survival sharpener, which is a dual-sided credit card sized sharpener. And during the Kickstarter campaign for all that and the post Kickstarter, that was actually the the surprise add-on product that I came out with and people just love that. So that's doing really well. You can only get that at tinysurvival.com right now until sometime in 2020. But the real standout thing that I wanted to do not only with the guides and the cards and the sharpener, but I've had this vision to 
help people design their perfect pocket survival kit, just their EDC kit. A lot of people think about these and, and there's kind of a fad that's gone on, which is Altoid Tins survival kits. So what I've done over on Tiny Survival, I've worked about two years testing out different combinations of gear. And there's two survival kits over there, Craig. There's the Pocket 30 and the Pocket 40 survival kits. Those are those have, obviously, the Pocket 30 has actually over over 30 items. And the Pocket 40 has over 40 items. And both of those kits can go as is right into an Altoids size 10. But, but we have other different size tins that people can put them in, along with the uh, shepherd's sling we have over there, along with we have a tin that fits the guide, the card, the sharpener, the pocket 40 kit, and a uh, survival shepherd's sling like the David and Goliath size. But the coolest thing with all of that is you can go to tinysurvival.com and I, I figured out and worked with a company to figure out a way so that people can go over there and literally build their own kit. So I think it, the tab is called Build Your Own Kit. So when you do that, people can go over there. They can actually design a kit for somebody or for themselves, something that would be close to what their ultimate EDC kit would be. And they can do that at tinysurvival.com. So I think that's the big thing. So, Craig, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, here we go, guys and gals. Thank you again for all the opportunities that you've taken to support us up to this point. Thank you for um, the knife purchases, Patreon, survivalshow.com. Check it out, the website, tinysurvival.com. All the good stuff that goes on with those websites. websites. Sportsman's Guide, our buddy from class is the biggest cheerleader I've ever seen. And I was just so pumped after listening to this guy talk about Sportsman's Guide. So there's all kinds of options there. Now, here's the free ones. Subscribe to the podcast. It's free to do so. It ensures that you don't miss out on anything. And why would you want to miss out on any Stump the Craig questions that you can possibly throw at me? Many thanks to each of you listening to have, who have already done that because it's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy the podcast, and I know you do, Please share it with your friends and go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. As always, we appreciate you all very much. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.